This is a HeadGum Podcast. Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and joining me on the Skype on the phone is Catherine Jones, owner of GSTQ Fashions in Atlanta. Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, okay, so um, reading from your website, and according to the website, you are, quote, a small team of talented artists uh, producing high-quality costumes for television, film, corporate events, and private commissions. I have that right? Uh, yes, sir. Can you give me an idea? What are some of the costumes or what are some of the commissions you might do for, say, TV or film? Like, what, what's some of the stuff you guys have done in the past? Okay, I need to think hard about what I'm allowed to talk about. Um, so, let's see, what's come out already? Uh, we did a bunch of jackets for Rampage. The movie with The Rock. Yes, and so, um, Mr. Dwayne Johnson, we made some jackets for him, and he was really lovely to work with. Um, he's a really big guy, so that's it took uh, a lot of leather to make those jackets. And um, what else have we done? We've done some stuff for Doom Patrol. And so a bunch of those episodes are all out now. Uh, that was a really fun production to work on. It filmed here in Atlanta. Really great crew, fun designers, um, really enjoyable experience for the shop overall. We've done a couple of costumes for gaming events. And so we did some stuff for PAX a little while back. We've done stuff for Smite which is a local Georgia gaming company. And um, so there's, there's a, a whole variety of things that, that we've been able to do, actually. And when you do something for a gaming company at PAX, I guess, like, they need what are basically, I, I want to say, cosplay costumes for, like, the convention, for, like, people to wear at the convention to draw people into their booth. Is that, is that the kind of thing you're, we're talking about here? Um, yeah, and... In some ways, like, it's a little bit more than that. And so uh, what happens 99% of the time is that we end up work subcontracting for a prop company. So, for example, uh, for our experience at PAX, Jordan, who runs Henchman Props up in Canada, they were making a couple of costumes for the event, and they needed some fabric components. And so they, uh, Jordan approached my company and asked if we could make some of those pieces. And so we were able to create a diva bodysuit, which was really fun. And we were able to go up to PAX and uh, make sure that our model, who her name is Linda, was you know doing all right throughout the day, making sure everything fit her all right, maintenance on the costume, you know that sort of thing. And then, what about corporate events? Like, what what kind of what do corporations call you to do for their for their own events? So it's kind of surprising. Uh, sometimes, like companies. A lot of the time it ends up being something in the ways of like a convention. And so it may not necessarily have to do with gaming or, um, you know, something along those lines, like uh, Cartoon Network approached us a little while back. Another Atlanta company. Yeah, another Atlanta company. They approached a couple of prop makers in Atlanta to put together pieces for a booth that they were doing. And they were props that people could pose with based off of characters in Steven Universe. And so they had uh, some really great fists. They had a sword, shield, and they had a couple stuffed animals, which is what we were asked to make for their booth that people could pose with. So we made like a little MC Bear Bear, and we made a little alien guy for them. And then finally, 
private commissions. I, I mean, I, they're private by definition, so I don't know what you can talk about, but like what kind of, what, what, what is that? Is that like people who just want their own costumes for conventions, for, I don't know, weddings, whatever else it is? Uh, yes, to both, actually. And so we've typically, the private commission client we get is someone that wants to look their best at a convention. And the way I kind of explain it to people is, you know, for, for I guess, uh, 90% of the population, you know, we might dress up for Halloween and we might put some effort into that, but this is taking it to a, a whole other level. This is what I would call like equivalent to prom level preparation, you know, right? kind of going along those lines. We've had people ask for not just costumes to wear to conventions, but costumes to wear as wedding attire. And so this could be the, the item they get married in. This could be something they use for engagement photos. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, their fandom runs pretty deep and they want to incorporate it into special events in their lives. And so sometimes they, they want to have a World of Warcraft engagement dress or they want to have a Final Fantasy themed wedding gown. Or uh, we just had a gentleman who got a Doctor Strange costume because he was celebrating his wedding at Dragon Con and that's one of his favorite characters and he just wanted to look awesome. Was it like a suit that was kind of evoked Doctor Strange or was it a Doctor Strange costume? This was a straight-up Doctor Strange costume. Amazing. And do you guys do anything that sort of doesn't fit in the buckets we've already discussed? I mean, one that I know you guys did that I definitely want to make sure we talk about is you, you worked on um, Dave Batista's costume for WrestleMania a few weeks ago. Yeah, that is a fairly new thing for us. Um, I've, I've always really been interested in wrestling costumes, and that it was kind of one little thing I had tucked away on my little bucket list of costumes. I'm like, man, I really want to make a wrestling costume one day. That would be awesome. And then um, we, uh, one of my friends, her name is Tracy. She goes by Miss Sinister in cosplay world, but she also uh, worked on Guardians of the Galaxy with Dave. And she recommended us to him, which I'm super thankful for. And she was the one that actually got the whole thing uh, set in motion. So what was it about wrestling costumes that, like, would you know, can you identify what it was that kind of made you interested in designing one in the first place? Like, what is it about them that called to you? Well, I mean, a lot of the time they're just, they're sparkly and they're flashy and they're just, they're really out there costumes and they have to have a pretty good level of uh, sturdiness and durability because, right. you know, they're, they're you get body slammed in it. <laughs> they're in the ring. And yeah, you don't want your costume to fall into a million pieces if, if you get Batista bombed. So, you know, you, um, you really want to make sure that they, they hold up, but also that they look, look nice, you know, that they look good on camera and that they really contribute to the overall image of that wrestler and make him look good, you know, him or her. And good. not only look good on camera, but also look good in an arena, even if you're all the way in the back and there's 20,000 people between you and the ring. Most definitely. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping uh, more wrestlers will, will come to us. So that's, that's my message out there to all you wrestlers. If you need something made, we would really love to do it. It was a super fun project. Okay. And I got one more question just as we kind of get the overview of the business, which is I just kind of wanted to find the term cosplay a little bit. I think it's something listeners to this podcast have probably heard it, but maybe don't know exactly what it means. Like, what is cosplay? What does that mean to you, I guess? Like, what, what are we talking about when we say cosplay? So if we're going by a technical definition, cos cosplay is short for costume play. And some people get really particular about what that means. But in my world, like, 
it it just means you put on a costume and you're enjoying yourself and you know you might be wearing a costume at a convention you might be wearing it you know at halloween you might just be doing photo shoots in it um you know typically though i think a lot of people associate cosplay with the convention scene uh but it's it seems like lately it's really evolved into more than that. And so sometimes people, they'll, they'll have like Patreon set up where they're just doing cosplay photo shoots. And you have artists that just really like creating this type of imagery and they'll make their own sets and they'll make the costumes and everything else to go along with it. So it's not necessarily just limited to conventions anymore. It, I think it's really starting to expand past that. And I think we kind of need to be a little more flexible in what our definition of, you know, cosplay really is. It's just having fun with costumes as far as I'm concerned. Is cosplay how you sort of got involved in the business? Were you, it was that kind of what you were into and then that sort of became the business. How did this start? Well, no, not really actually. So my mom is a seamstress and I learned a lot from her. And when I was going to college here in Georgia, I was um, kind of like struggling a little bit. I started off as a computer science major and I wasn't doing very well in those subjects. And so I thought I would try the theater department because I knew a little bit about sewing from watching my mom. And uh, I thought, you know, let me, let me just give it a shot. So I was doing set design classes and costuming classes. And I came to really enjoy the costuming classes because it was something that came very naturally to me. And so I started doing basic alterations for friends and neighbors and everything because I just wanted to have a little bit of extra side cash. And so I was doing stuff for my landlord, like putting cuffs in his pants and hemming them. And the lady that I babysat for her, she and her daughter always like to have matching Halloween costumes. So I started making stuff for them. And um, then at some point I ended up at a drag bar in Atlanta called the model T. And there were some drag Queens there who were all really nice, like just super friendly, you know, happy to interact with their audiences and everything. And I was doing some photos for a photography class. And I noticed that some of the girls, their costumes needed a little bit of repair. So I gave them these really terrible business cards I had printed out on my, my little inkjet printer. And one of them called me a couple months later and said, okay, well, I think I'd like to have these items made. And so I made some for her. Her name was Victoria. And I also made some for her friend Stacy. And then their other friends wanted some costumes made. And so I just kept making more and more costumes for drag queens. And so that's kind of where the name of the business came from. Because I was just like, oh, God save the queen, the drag queen. And um, it kind of stuck. And it, it's just, it's easy to remember, too. And so now we just kind of shorten it to GSDQ because that can get a little bit wordy to say the whole name out. Um, but also, like, our focus is you know, more than drag queens now. But for a long time, like, that was all I did. It was just, for a couple of years, I was just making drag queen costumes. And that's it. Nothing else. What's like, so when you're making a drag queen costume, what's different than making just like, I don't know, formal gowns? What are sort of the unique things about creating for drag queens that you have to consider? Uh, I mean, part of it is you're, you're dealing with performers. And 
So you want to make sure that you're able to meet their needs. So for example, it doesn't make sense to have this like couture level gown when, you know, you're doing a couple of numbers uh, at a bar, you know, there's going to be not very much room to get ready. Like dressing rooms are going to be really small. You want to have something that you can pack away pretty easily. You want to have something that's compatible with whatever padding you might be wearing, hip pads, um, breast pads or, or anything else. And so a lot of the time when we would make stuff for drag queens, we would be making items out of spandex, other stretchy fabrics, things that travel well, things that can look great on stage. Cause you can get a whole variety of like glitter and sequin encrusted stretchy fabrics and they, they work great. They're flexible in sizing. So if you need to change out your padding or if you lose a bit, a little bit of weight, gain a little bit of weight, it's not a huge deal because everything's still going to fit. And so that was one uh, kind of challenge that we ran into early on. And the very first uh, outfits that I made, they weren't spandex because I didn't know how to work with spandex at that point. And then one of my um, drag queen friends who I'm still friends with now, her name's Alexandria. She was like, Oh, well, can you make spandex? And so uh, I, I lied to her and I told her I, absolutely could and so I went home that night and looked at all the stretchy stuff I had and I was like well gosh I already told this person that um you know I could make this dress for them I better figure it out and and I did and so um made dresses for her and kept making more and more dresses after that and um it's there's like this weird pressure because you want to be you know, good at what you're doing and you want to make sure people are getting, you know, the items that they need. And so there's something that definitely drives you to learn things very, very quickly. And I'm very thankful for that because that's kind of a skill that we have to use all the time in the shop because we never really get nor, I guess what I would consider normal sewing jobs. Everything involves so much problem solving and we have to be very quick about it. So what are your resources like you, you know, you've got to solve, you've got to make something out of spandex or you've got to make something, um, for Dave Batista that doesn't fall apart and you've never like done something that durable. Like what do you, like, what is the library you go to, to learn how to solve those problems or is it no one solved them? So you have to start experimenting. Uh, I mean, it kind of depends. Like we, the nice thing is that where we are, like where we're located in Doraville, Georgia, there are a whole bunch of other costume shops and prop shops that are nearby and we've definitely run into problems where I just think to myself, man, I'm not really sure how to do this exactly. You know, what do you think? And I'll ask, you know, one of my, my work peers. And so one good example of that on Dave's costume is he had this really intricate logo, you know, Batista on the front of his trunks, but he had also requested this lion for the back. And I feel like, we we kind of knew early on that these were going to be complex designs. You know, you want to have some level of difficulty when you look at these things that are custom made because you don't want people to look at something that's custom made and think, oh, well, I could throw that together. There has to be like a certain like sophistication to where, okay, this took a very, very like skilled team of artisans to create. This isn't just something that anyone is going to create, you know, after their first home ec class. And so we wanted to make things very detailed and very intricate. And one of 
the problems with doing something like that is if you get leather, you know, hand cutting something like that is going to be, it's going to take you forever. And it's not going to be as high of a precision as something like using a laser cutter, which is what we ended up doing for both logos on the trunks. And so my friend Eric, who runs Jarman Props, he has a laser cutter and he was able to run all of these for us. And he was able to run them like multiple times because one issue we ran into was when you're laser cutting something that detailed, if you have your lines like too crowded, the laser will basically end up obliterating some of those, those design, those design areas, if that makes sense. And so we had to figure out the minimum amount of space we needed between all those design elements because we have to leave space, not just for stitching, but we also have to account for, you know, the laser burning those edges. And so you can't have something that's, you know, one millimeter wide. That's not wide enough. It has to be wider than that. So that was one problem-solving thing that we had to work through. Okay, so you've got this business. Um, you're working with all these drag queens. I imagine word is starting to get out that you're this costume maker who works on this. Um, when, do, when does it become like a business? Like when, does, when, do, when do you get office space? How quickly does that happen? Um, well... So that was kind of a, a long, that was like definitely a long game. Um, so for a while I was working out of, I had a condo over in the like kind of midtown area of Atlanta, like outskirts of midtown. And I was working out of my little sunroom. I had a tiny sunroom there that was honestly probably smaller than the break room that we have right now in our current space. And so it was really little. I had like two machines that I would use and an iron and that was it. I had to be very efficient about my space. And then it started to explode out into my living room and it started to just uh, be a little bit more than what the sunroom could contain. And so then I moved into a house and I worked out of the basement of that house. And after a while, that also started to just expand beyond the basement and it became an issue. And uh, by this time, you know, I had been attending conventions and that was what got us into the cosplay stuff because I started going to conventions and I was like dang there are a lot of people here in costume they can't all possibly be making every single one of these costumes like there has to be a need for for people to make these things and I think I'd really like to do that so let me give that a shot and um you know as a result the the basement I was working out of just, it was full of mannequins. It was really disorganized. Um, at one point, like, you know, it wasn't just me working there. I had like employees that were contractors that were working with me and it was just too much. And so my friend Harrison, who runs Vulpen Props, he had posted on Facebook that he was interested in getting a commercial space. And I thought, okay, well, that would be cool. And he said that, you know, he was looking for someone to split the space with. And so I was like, pick me, pick me. And so we talked a little bit about it. And I'd known Harrison for a little while, uh, quite a few years leading up to this. So we started just looking around in the Dorville area and um, ended up finding this really cool space. And it's uh, 2,800 square feet. And we shared that for about four years. And after about four years, Harrison and I both realized that each of us really needed more space. Um, we, even though we had separate areas, we both kind of felt like, you know, we were just kind of a little too crowded. And he had, you know, 
full roster of employees and I had employees and it was just too much. And so he actually just moved across the parking lot about a year ago. And so now I have my own separate space and he has his own separate space. Um, and so it's been, it's been good. Uh, but yeah, once, once things start to just overflow a designated area in your home and you're consistently making enough money to where you could feasibly pay for a space, then yeah, that's probably time to move out. Um, it definitely helps though having someone to split those costs with initially, because it can be a really big jump to go from, you know, deducting part of the cost of your rent and your internet at home to having a full-blown extra commercial space. So finding a buddy to start with is something I definitely recommend, but it has to be someone you can trust. It can't just be anyone. And so Harrison and I, we've known each other a long time and we're good at communicating things very clearly with one another. So I always say he was, he was the best shop mate I ever had. And then like, you mentioned you start hiring employees. Like, what are the, who are the kind of people you need to help you complete these unusual projects? So typically, the people I hire are very fast learners, and they're good at adapting. Uh, if you're the type of person that you have a plan set in stone, if that plan changes and that's something that frustrates you really easily, this is definitely not the type of work for you. Um, it's always good to have a plan, but you know what they say about laying out the best plans. And so very often they do change and that may have nothing to do with us. It might be a production saying, we got to change this color or we got to change the design, or it could be something with a supplier where we have a plan to use one type of spandex, but that type of spandex isn't in stock right now. So we just can't get it and we got to figure out something else. Or it could be a production needs something in 24 hours. So we have to shop locally to find these supplies that we need to make sure we're able to meet those deadlines and meet the expectations of that production. And so I think you definitely have to be willing to really go with the flow and just make changes on the fly. Um, because again, those things aren't always in your control. Sometimes stuff happens. Sometimes, you know, things need to be a really particular way. And it's your job to figure out how, how to do that in a way that you can still produce a high quality item and, you know, keep everyone happy. And this is always something I'm interested in when people um, kind of build businesses like this is how much of your day now would you say you get to spend actually in the shop producing cool costumes and how much of your day is kind of like administrative stuff and making sure that the factory is working on, uh, you know, the factory is working. Yeah, it's a lot more administrative stuff than people even realize. That's usually the answer. Yeah, that's why I'm always so interested in it. Like, yeah. what, what is that? What, what, what's going on there? For a, a long time, I was doing sewing and, you know, running things, but also I was doing all of my administrative work. So I was answering emails, figuring out my numbers for taxes and everything else, because um, I, I have an accountant, but I put together all my numbers myself and, like, put them in spreadsheet and give them to my accountant. And so I got to keep up with that throughout the year. There are taxes that have to get paid, you know, at certain times of the year, like sales tax and, you know, taxes on employees wages and that sort of thing. And there are business permits and, you know, uh, corporation renewals and all this other stuff that, you know, it's important to keep track of. And I know for me, I, I like being involved in that process. And so I know there are services where you can, 
and get people to do all of that for you. Uh, but there are certain things that I just really like to be involved with. And it does take up a lot of time. And that can be very frustrating because there have certainly been days where I did no sewing and I was just sitting at my computer, either answering emails or trying to negotiate a contract or get invoices ready to send out or run to the bank and deposit checks or, you know, whatever else. And so very recently within the past three months, I hired an assistant. And so we just call her the shop mom and her name is Lindsay and she's been really great. And, you know, since having her here, it saved me a lot of time. And so I still have to do some administrative work, but it definitely allowed me to put more focus back onto the actual sewing. And maybe, I don't know, I, you know, this whole, like, I don't know anything about making even regular clothes. Like, I don't know how to sew a, sew a hole in a shirt or anything. So the whole thing is very mysterious to me. I'm wondering, maybe you can take me just kind of like through the process of from uh, uh, from soup to nuts of like making one of these costumes. Um, like maybe the Batista one is kind of an interesting example. Or I don't know, maybe you've got a more interesting one. But just like uh, once you get the business in, like once, you know, you sign the contract, like, all right, we're making this costume let's say for the Batista thing, like where do you start? Like what are the, what are the next steps? You talk to him and try to get a sense of what the needs are. Do you start working with materials? Like how do you even begin? Okay. So what happens when we get a costume contract, whether it's for a private commission, uh, production, you know, whatever else, if it is for a person, then we have to get a set of measurements or just general sizes. And sometimes productions will have a fabric already picked out, like the designer has already picked out something, and sometimes they leave it up to us. And so we're aware of, you know, the production that is for. Sometimes we're given a general idea of the scene it might be for and, you know, what's happening in the course of the movie or the TV, TV show, you know, by the point that this costume enters the fray. And we're aware of a deadline, you know, when it actually plays although we usually like to get it to a production before that because, you know, you want to, you don't want to give it to someone the, the morning of, you know, if you can avoid it, you want to try and get it to them the, a day or two before, if at all possible. And um, we make the costume, we send progress photos and we make sure that they like everything and then they pick it up and then we get paid for it. And that's really about it. How do you go about picking a fabric? Like, what are, what are the things you're thinking about when you're deciding what kind of fabric to use for something? And, like, where do you even – stop me if this is a dumb question, but where do you even get fabric from? Like, do you have a, a wholesaler? Like, where, where does fabric come from? So when a mama fabric and a daddy fabric really love each other. <laughs> uh, so, They'll uh, get married in Final Fantasy <laughs> costumes. When we um, – when we do need to pick out fabric for places, we have a variety of vendors and stores that we have shopped at for years, most of the time. And so I really like to go to places that I've been to before or ordered from before, because I really like having consistent selection of things. And so, you know, I order a lot of my spandex from spandex world or spandex house. And they have websites that you can go to. You can get swatches from them. I know what to expect when I'm ordering from them. And so I get stuff from there a lot. And when it comes to leather, I order a lot of my stuff from a place called Hyde House. And they're all the way out in California. But what I really love about Hyde House is you can have an entire swatch book of every single leather they have. 
So if a production asks us for something and we need to make more than one, which often happens because, you know, you have a stunt person as well sometimes. And so if we need, you know, some leather, we might need more than one hide of leather. And so we want to make sure that we can get more than one that all matches. And so I use Hide House for a lot of my leather stuff. Uh, of course, locally, there's a really great place called Fine Fabrics. They're right down the street from us. They have a huge warehouse, and that's where we got uh, some of Dave Batista's fabric. And so they have a really good selection of things, but their selection, like if you see something there and you really like it, you better just go ahead and grab it because, you know, it may not be there the next time you go in. Because uh, they, like, they tend to get a lot of, like, really cool stocks in different places, but you may not know if it's, if it's reorderable or if it was just a, a one-off sort of thing. Okay, but let's say I come to you and I'm like, hey, I'm getting married next year and I want to dress up as Doctor Strange or the Green Lantern or whatever. And I don't really know a lot about fabric, so I don't, I don't have a take on what it should be made of. Like, wh- what, are you, what are you thinking about? A lot of the time, uh, that also depends on the client. So, for example, if I have a client that just wants to have a really, you know, nice looking bodysuit that you can wear to conventions and that is going to last a long time and is uh, going to be flattering on them. There are certain types of spandex that I'll prefer over others. And so usually when we make costumes, we try and pick spandexes that are pretty thick because what we don't want to have are spandexes that are see-through if you're bending over or spandexes that you know, leave, leave uh, not very much to the imagination. You know, you want to have things that appropriately cover up the person that is wearing them, if that makes sense. And so we don't want to pick a spandex that is so thin that, you know, no matter what kind of underwear you wear with it, you're going to see outlines of the underwear, you know, that's going to pose problems in your Green Lantern costume. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are certain costumes that are supposed to look very, very like thin, like there's barely anything there. So in those cases, we might use a, a thinner spandex or there might be part of a costume that has to be uh, a nude tone. And so in that case, we won't use a spandex. Maybe we'll use a power mesh so you can still see part of that person's skin tone. And there are some cases where let's say you're really into Green Lantern, you know, and you want to have something that is more than just a spandex suit. You want to have something that is really intricate and really complicated. Well, now we can start thinking about, do you want to get a custom screen printed spandex? Do you want to have an emblem that is like a 3D printed piece that has a lot of dimension to it? Or do you want to have a flat applique? A lot of it just depends on budget, the need for that particular person, like what they eventually want to do with it. You know, if they're planning on wearing this costume to tons and tons of charity events, we want to make sure that it is very durable and it can stand up to like getting washed in the washer and dryer pretty easily. Uh, and not all costumes can do that. So if you have a lot of like prop pieces attached to a costume, then you got to be really careful about cleaning it. But something straight spandex, a lot of the time, you know, we can construct that to where you can do a delicate wash and then hang it to dry. Man, I, it didn't even occur to me how you wash these costumes. Like is a spandex. Oh yeah. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, is, is dry clean only for my Green Lantern costume, or can I throw it in the wash? Uh, it depends on what you get it made out of. And so something that we did um, early on, you know, when we would make costumes for people, is if they want to have, like, an emblem or something like that on there, you can make it detachable. 
you know, you can put it on there with Velcro, take it off with Velcro. And that's one really easy way to make your costume much, you know, much more amenable to being washed in the washer and dryer, even by hand. And there are even some costumes that it's really difficult to do much more than spot clean them because they just have so much stuff on them. So with costumes like that, we might typically, you know, tell people, hey, be really careful when you're wearing this. This might be better suited for photo shoots only. This might be something that, you know, you wear on the con floor for just a few hours. Maybe you want to wear some sort of like wicking undergarment with it. We recommend that to people uh, all the time. You know, if you're going to wear something that's all leather, for example, get some like under armor that will help wick away the sweat. So it doesn't like just remain in your leather forever. Um, you know, a lot of it is just common sense approaches, you know, wearing things underneath to absorb sweat, uh, sweat shields. There are items that you can get. Um, there are pieces where sometimes we'll make uh, two of a certain part of a costume, like a pair of pants or an undershirt that you can switch out the undershirt, or we might give someone a few pairs of tights to wear with a costume, especially if they plan on, it. you know, the entire weekend of a convention, you want to have like backup pieces. Uh, so that you're not wearing the exact same thing uh, for 72 hours straight. Amongst all this problem solving, have you encountered a fictional character whose costume, um, just like because it's in a video game and it only had to exist in polygons before, can't like actually be recreated in real life? Is that the sort of thing that might be a problem? Man, like floating things. People want stuff that floats. Like what's a character with a floating thing? (laughs) Um, Sometimes, I don't even know the names of like, all of these characters but sometimes people will send us commission requests and characters will have floating armor um or armor that you know is would be so heavy in real life that there's no way you know you're going to be able to wear this at a convention and and be comfortable you know you're never going to be able to wear a full set of metal armor and be able to you know, easily get through a crowd at Dragon Con and and everything else. Sometimes we have characters that have really big weapons and you might want the weapon to be scaled to a certain size or look a certain way. And just, it's not always physically possible. So I think sometimes people get very hung up on accuracy. And for me, accuracy is important to an extent, but in my world, the more important thing is to make sure that the costume looks flattering on you, the client. And so typically what we'll do is there's something that I feel could change and it would be just a little bit more flattering or maybe it's more manageable. You know, having, for example, hair that's down to the floor is not manageable for a costume that you wear at a convention. Like I'm going to suggest a shorter wig or something that's much easier to deal with. And so I guess I would say like accuracy is something that people get very hung up on and, I, for me, like comfort and looking nice, you know, having something that's flattering on you is, is going to be the most important thing. Do you, Catherine, have any costumes that you created for yourself that maybe you wear at conventions or in other places? Like, do you have, do you have like a Zelda costume or anyone that, that, that you made for you? Um, so, uh, the unfortunate thing about making costumes for other people is sometimes you get to a point where you are so busy making costumes for other people that you don't really have as much time to make things for yourself. And I think a good example of that would be the Sailor Mars costume that sat in various stages of completion in my shop for many years 
before I finally finished it. And so I have a lot of costumes like that where they either get made in some marathon rush build where I'm like, all right, I have two days where I don't have to do anything. What do I want to make? And uh, it might even be something where my friend Brian is coming into town for a photo shoot in one week. I never get to see him. What can I make? And so sometimes my costumes are very simple compared to the things that we make for other people. And um, that can sometimes be a bummer. But on the other hand, I really enjoy walking through conventions uh, and being able to get from point A to point B in just a single straight line and not, you know, be stopped every couple minutes, you know, to take photos with people because sometimes you just really want to get to the food court because you're super hungry. <laughs> and so uh, it is nice to be able to be in civilian clothes for that, for sure. Uh, I always have really grand plans if a convention is coming up. Like I can think to myself of conventions that are coming up. I'm like, yeah, I really want to make this costume and that costume and that costume. But managing that time can be kind of difficult. And so I try and find a little bit of build time here and there. But I, again, my stuff that I make for myself is definitely not, not as nice as what I make for other people. Because with my stuff, I'm like, oh, it's okay if, you know, this is very slightly off or I have the safety pin it into place. But I'd be horrified if I had to do that for a customer. <laughs> be like no i can't i can't abide by this safety pin you will have a snap in in your mind is there a, a commission you've received that was the most difficult that you guys were actually able to pull off like what's one that seemed initially like you wouldn't be able to do it but then you were able to ultimately problem solve your way through it oh okay so there were two actually and we did them very recently they were a uh, tracer costume. We made a tracer costume. Tracer from Overwatch, right? Yes, but it was one of the, it wasn't the default skin. It was the slipstream skin. And so it's much more unusual than the, uh, the default one, and not very many people do it. And there was also a thief costume that we made from the game Thief. And the reason both of these costumes were just, seemed very daunting at first was this is something that I had to involve not just my shop, but uh, three other shops. No, four other shops. There are four other shops I had to involve to make sure we got everything done. And so I had uh, Harrison like prime some of these props for me. And the props themselves I had purchased from another shop um and get like the little tracer guns that we had gotten the uh the guns weren't something that you could just like they weren't the default tracer guns we had to modify them and so that was something that was a, a little more complicated than i was you know expecting initially and so we had to get extra pieces made for those and so then we had to have them primed by Harrison and we had them painted by another shop and I also worked on like the thief costume with Wooden Leg Studios who's down the street from me but just getting all of those pieces to coordinate together when not all of your shops are you know in the same space even if it's like down the street that does make things easier but you know, you have to have fittings and you have to make sure everything looks right and that the scaling is good. And so it's, um, it gets to be a lot more complicated when you have to involve 
other shop. I hope that makes sense. What's tough about Thief? Because what I remember about Thief, which is that game's a few years old already, but like the the main character is kind of like a hooded. It's it's like a hood, and like he's you know he's a thief, so he's like mostly in darkness. But I guess he also has like a lot of gadgetry and stuff. Is that right? He does, and I honestly don't know how Mister Thief gets dressed by himself uh, because he has so many pieces in his costume that, you know, there are pants and there's a shirt and there's this kind of like belted, uh, this like corset belt thing that he wears, but there's also like all this gear on his knees and he has boot spats and he has things on his arm and he has this bow that he has to carry around. And so it's just a lot of pieces and it takes a long time to make sure all of that stuff is rigged well to a point where, you know, your customer can get into it with, little assistance, you know, from a con buddy or or someone else. And so uh, he just has a overwhelming amount of pieces and they're all highly detailed too. So it's not just a plain leather bracer. It has padding on it and it has leather binding on it and there are grommets and there's contrast stitching. And we also have to make sure everything gets distressed because you can't, you know, have your your costume walking out like they just came straight from the tailor with your nice shiny new leather outfit. It has to have some level of, you know, aging and distressing because you want that costume to tell that story from, from the game. And so it's just a lot of detail. Um, I'm image. I just image searched the Garrett was the name of the thief in thief. If you guys want to kind of look at what we're looking at here and Thief a little more steampunky than I remember, you know? Um, it's like a little... Is, is that a thing that comes up a lot in your world, is steampunk? So, not so much now. We've done some steampunk-themed outfits for people. Uh, we've done a steampunk Flash. We've done a steampunk Raven before. And so, when steampunk was, like, super, super popular, people were asking for, you know, those types of outfits. And... Um, but so we don't really get so much of that now. A lot of what we get now is, you know, people are really into uh, video games, I feel, are probably one of the more popular things that we get in comic book characters. So video games, comic book characters, that's typically what people want to dress up as. But we're past peak steampunk. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, I'm not in the steampunk community, so I wouldn't know. I just know, like, from my shop specifically, we don't really get a lot of steampunk requests. That's also something that isn't necessarily like very prominent in our portfolio. And so it's possible that people might look at our stuff and be like, well, they don't really do a lot of steampunk stuff. So I'll just move on. Uh, Is there a character who you like dream some, like you want to make a costume and you hope someday someone will call you up and say, Hey, I want to be this costume for, you know, my, my next convention. Is there one you like really want to get to? Um, I don't know. I'm always continually surprised by how much I enjoy media that I have no familiarity with. Right, right. You must get requests and you're like, what? And then you like got to like look up Overwatch Let's Plays. To, or, Overwatch is fairly mainstream even, but like there must be characters you just have to like do a ton of research just to like figure out what the hell someone's even asking you for. Yeah, I was very unfamiliar with Garrett when we got that commission. And so we had to do a lot of research for that and just kind of figure out, you know, okay, what pieces are, are going to go here. And um, there was also like a really cool project that we worked on um, with Blue Whale Studios. Uh, a couple years back, we did some Gears of War 4 costumes with them. And I wasn't familiar with the Gears of War franchise. And 
we put together some costumes with them and that was a, a very cool project. You know, it's always fun when you have like fabric pieces and armor pieces all together. So that was very enjoyable. Um, and then even like sometimes some of the comic book stuff, you know, people will ask for it and it might be characters that I'm not super familiar with. And I'm just like, all right, well, I need to learn as much as I possibly can about, you know, this, this character. And uh, cause, I mean, I know a little bit about comic book characters, like I'm a Punisher fan and a Deadpool fan. Um, but beyond that, I'm not super knowledgeable. And so uh, I like researching. And so I do my best to try and keep up with everything. Um, but yeah, there's the nice thing is that now there's so many resources out there where, you know, if you want to make something from a movie, people take screen caps of these movies, you can buy a Blu-ray that has special features on it. And you can learn about how those costumes are made. Uh, I think like one of our favorite special features we like to watch in the shop is special features for like Pacific Rim or the Deadpool movie or like Lord of the Rings. And so when they talk about how they make some of these props or some of these costumes, it's those are the things that I really, really like to be able to see. And so seeing like how many uh, masks they have, how many hoods they have for Deadpool, you know, for his stunt person versus a regular person and hearing the Lord of the Rings, you know, costumers talk about what colors each of these items actually are versus what you see on screen. It's really fascinating to me to see, to get that information and be able to like incorporate it into our work. So I don't know. I like kind of the discovery process if that makes sense. So yeah. Who is the most, sorry, I should say who, I guess, what is the most obscure commission you've received? Is it Garrett from thief? Uh, no, you know, I've had, we've had a couple of interesting ones. Um, we had someone who uh, had a custom character they made in a fighting game. And so they wanted a very particular costume, you know, the, of their custom character. And I thought that was pretty cool. Obviously, no one else is going to have that exact right. costume as it was their their customized version. Because, you know, in a lot of these games now, you can mix and match and yep. pick whatever, you know, colors you want on your outfits and that sort of thing. Um, we've had people who, you know, read read books and they have a very particular oh, character that's from that book that they want. Yeah, and they want to interpret it a certain way. And so we'll make a costume for them based on like, you know, descriptions or very, very like little visual reference. And so we might have one photo of something. And of course, we're not going to necessarily see the back or the sides. And we just have to interpret that and make it something that's going to be appropriate for the environment, the time, the time period, you know, the character. Um, so, you know, if we're making a, an Aang costume for you from Avatar, even though we like using leather. Uh, we're not going to use leather in that costume because Aang is vegetarian. Ooh, good. I was, that's, that's a fun one. What's a car- What's a book costume that you guys have uh, produced? Uh, let me see here. I'm at my computer, so I'd have to kind of like, I don't want to get the names of everything wrong. Um, okay, so we did a character named Sam Vine for one of our, customers and we had like some illustration that we were able to go by for that uh from you know the Discworld series and so we had some illustration that we were able to go by for that but uh you know we're not going to have it's not from a movie you know we don't have all these screen caps that we can go by and of course there's lots of like fan art of how people want to interpret this character um 
But, you know, we, we got to, like, play around with that a little bit, which was really, really fun. And so uh, characters like that are super enjoyable because there isn't necessarily a, a super hard and fast reference, you know, that you absolutely have to stick to. And I honestly don't feel that way about any character. You know, for me, if, if you're happy with the costume and you want to make a few changes to make it personalized to you, I'm all about that. You know, and so this particular customer, he wanted a lot of leather incorporated into the costume. And so we did this really cool, like, leather cape, leather pants, leather top, and did some, like, a leather kind of battle skirt almost to go with it. And uh, I'm not familiar with the book series. And so this is just kind of based on, you know, this customer's preferences and uh, kind of what they thought would be appropriate for the character. Do you still work with the drag queen community at all? Um, so very, uh, not as much. So very occasionally, um, you know, I'll, I'll get old clients that will contact me and say, hey, I need, you know, uh, a dress for this upcoming event or, you know, whatever else. So a lot of that just kind of depends. Uh, what's super interesting is on the most recent episode of Doom Patrol, uh, or not the most recent, actually. This was uh, a couple episodes back. The episode is called Danny Patrol, and uh, it's a great episode. And Alan Mingo Jr. is in it, and he is in Kinky Boots, uh, like productions of, of Kinky Boots. So he's very experienced with drag and performing and everything else. And uh, we actually got to work with him, which was a really great experience. He was super lovely, really enjoyable to, to make something for. And um, in that episode, you can see a little bit of our work uh, that he's wearing. So that kind of combines everything, right? Like that's where you came from. You started with the drag queen stuff, but now you're combining it with sort of fandom geek stuff in that one instance, right? Yeah, and so that was something like when um, we got the call from Doom Patrol to be able to work on, you know, this particular outfit for Alan, uh, I, I was so excited. I was like, yes, we've come full circle. We get to make a drag outfit for right. For this television show. So that was really, really fun. This sounds like such a cool business. You're always solving new challenges. You're always doing new things for new and interesting people. But you said something uh, when we were talking this afternoon that really made me think that you are the right person for this business, which is you were talking about um, when your friend comes over. And even after you're making all these costumes all the time for your job and you're running this business, and you're like, I have two days off. And I'm thinking, what kind of costume can I make? That you have two days off and you're still thinking, like, what kind of costume you can make? tells me that you are, uh, that, you know, it, it took you, you had to go through computer science, but you definitely found the right thing for you to be doing. Um, and it's really cool. So how can people find you online, see what you've done in the past, maybe commission a Green Lantern suit, whatever it is? Uh, so our social media is same all across the board. It's just GSTQ Fashions. If you're on Facebook, it's GSTQ Fashions. If you're on Twitter, it's GSTQ Fashions. If you're on Instagram, it's GSTQ Fashions. GSTQ Fashions. I will make sure that is in the info for the podcast so people can just click on the link and don't even have to type it in. Uh, Catherine, really cool stuff. Thanks so much for making time to talk this afternoon and telling me how costumes work. All right. Thanks, Jeff. That was a HeadGum Podcast.